podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. lovely listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Dairy Maiden. I'm Camille. And I'm Julie. Today, we'll be discussing all things Basque. Basque country, Basque people, Basque language, and most importantly, Basque cheese. Mmm, this is going to be a good one. Once again, we're The Dairy Maidens, and without further ado, let's get started. <laughs> okay, so first off, I'd like to take us um, across the Atlantic Ocean to the westmost corner of the border between Spain and France. Euskal area, or in English, the Basque country. It sounds, Euskal area sounds very like, um, uh, or the ringsy, or the rings. Old like worldy? New worldy, new worldy. Um, yeah. yeah, but it's very old worldy. It's all very old worldy. Yeah. So in our old worldiness, let's close our eyes and imagine vast mountain ranges, low valleys, cool ocean breeze, and luscious expansion of grassland. Kind of all, sounds like California, but no. It's true, but all of it is in <laughs> Europe, obviously, divided into Spain and France by the Pyrenees mountain range. And let's not forget the sheep. I mean, how could we? Sheep are precisely why we as cheesemongers even begin to be curious about the Basque country. I once heard Camille tell a customer, this was made in the Basque region, you know, where all the sheep in France hang out. I still believe that's where all this sheep in France hang out. They're just hanging like, out with their friends. Is, yeah, because it's always like sheep milk. And then it's like, yeah, that's where the sheep hang out. Um, yeah. I don't know why I always say that. It's like auto-repeat, but it's something I believe. Anyway, yeah. I think it's true. It's pretty true. So. There's so many sheep in this region. They roam free, eating buttloads of grass every day, mating and sleeping, and then doing that exact thing again the next day. Yeah, sounds like a lot of other cheesy stories. But before we delve into the cheesy, sheepy portion of this episode, I would like to talk a little bit about Basque as its own country. Um, We've already mentioned the Basque country comprises some parts of Spain and some parts of France. And as Julie said, it's divided by the Pyrenees mountain range. But which parts of the mountain range are we talking about? Okay, so Spanish Basque country is made up of the provinces of Guipúzcoa, parts of Viesquia, Navarra and Alava. Uh, hopefully, I'm saying all this right. Okay. And around 19, thank you. Around 1980, these provinces um, were unified under the Basque Autonomous Community Act. But this is only for the Spanish side of yes. the Basque region. The French Basque country is made up of parts of the Pyrenees Atlantiques. That, that there's more to that, right? Yes. Well, that's yes and no. So. It already sounds like more of the Basque country is in Spain than it is in France, which is true. Within parts of the Pyrenees Atlantiques in the French side, you have the Kingdom of Navarre, Labor, and Seoul. And then what makes the Basque, the whole region itself so unique is really the people of the Basque region. Mm -hmm. So the Basque population, um, like we said, lives in Spain because of the Spanish conquest of Iberian Navarre against the French in the Middle Ages, so it got divided and pushed separately between the, the Spanish and the French side. Um, so the, the push for the population of the South got thrown into the Spanish Basque country, and, and they were thrown under um, the rule of the Habsburg. So it's just like, that, that, what we looked it up, and it was about like the 14th century, somewhere around mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah. And if we're talking about the origin of Basque people, it's actually still pretty much a mystery. Sources propose that the Basque people are one of the oldest, oldest, oldest ethnic groups in Western <laughs> Europe. They're really old, um, dating back as far as Paleolithic ages. That's a stone age, 
that's really impressive. Like these these people, this ethnic group have lasted like as long as we know about humans. Yeah, it's just kind of crazy. <laughs> it's crazy that they're still around today and like pretty much untouched in terms of their traditions. Anyway, sources also propose that the Basque people were the outcome of an agricultural boom during the Paleolithic age, originating from what we'd call modern-day Sardinia. Which Julian, I found this kind of odd because Sardinia is an island off the coast on like the west side of Italy and it's kind of weird to us to think that they landed in an island and we found this source from an academic journal that was like looking at like bones and where the farming spread in Europe mm-hmm. um and just kind of I just I guess I didn't expect to be an island that was kind of um intriguing but basically if we were to simplify all this kind of quickly most of what becomes or became of europe as we know of it today is because of agriculture and farming no, no surprise there but what's surprising about the bass is how how they were able to manage um surviving as a people unaffected by migration and all that shaped most of europe i mean because we if you've ever been through a history class in high school it's like europe is like conquered unconquered conquered right unconquered. right and this and area the has people. this area has been invaded by the Romans, Visigoths, Arabs, French, and Spanish, and they've survived all of those invasions, leaving these people considerably isolated from the rest of the world. Um, they're, yeah, they're untouched, and that's what makes them so unique. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll talk, dive a little bit into that they have their own language and their own traditions and mm-hmm. their own cave making, but... Up until the Middle Ages, the Basque country remained pretty much independent until their territory was taken by the Span- Span- Spaniards, Gascons and Catalans. So they did get colonialized by their neighbors, but they were still able to keep their identity for the mm-hmm. most part. And it wasn't until, the, until 1516 that the Spanish Basques were able to regain some of their self-government while still being under Castilian rule. Um, and with their language comes power as usual. So by 1979, the Basque language, which we'll refer to from now on in the native language, Euskara, and Castilian Spanish were announced as the official languages of the Spanish Basque country. So through Julia and I researching about the Basque history, we came across the claim that Euskara and Spanish sound similar with some distinctive sounds that distinguish between the two. Mm-hmm. We'll touch so, on language a little bit more later, but I've always been fascinated about the victorious nature of getting to speak one's native tongue and how mm-hmm. that sort of happens from a from a top-down power structure. Like The government will decide what's a standardized language of a certain dialect, and then all the other dialects either get stigmatized or you know, people are treated unfairly because they don't speak the standardized language. And if it, laws are made based on that, it strips one of their identity if they don't get to speak their yeah, own it's dialect. Yeah, identif- it's a huge identifier. It's, um, and that, it's what can unify people as their own identity of sense of self. Exactly. Of, um, coming together so it, it's why Yuskar um, as far as the very reason of the power hold of language that when the Basque regions were taken over by neighbors that they were the, their own language was banned in public um, so particularly on the French side uh, which is you'll we'll see a big difference between the French and, and Spanish side but there's like a stronger almost stronger sense of the Basque people on the Spanish side mm-hmm. uh, because they got more autonomy yeah. Then on the French side, also they just have more land. Yeah. But on the French side, during 1793, was it, to 1795, yeah. there was the War of the Pyrenees. 
and the French government, or I guess more of the monarchy, um, banned the use, be able to speak Euskara. So you would be jailed if you spoke your language. Which is so sad. And before this, Navarra was given total independence by Henry III, which is a great thing. He eventually became king of France. Um, He was also from Navarra, so he was doing his people a solid. Um, But however, this only lasted until 1624. And now, even now, the French Basque country still answers to the central government in France, unlike their Spanish neighbors who have held an autonomous status since 1980. So they have they have autonomous status, so they have their own like local government and everything, yes. but they still have to abide. It's like a... It's sort of like uh, a compromise. Yeah, but still abide by the Spanish government, but they can make their own rules and their own region, yeah. so it helps kind of alleviate things. But undoubtedly, the French side of the Basque region has had it harder than the Spanish, which I think I kind of mentioned. But after Euskari was banned from public, there was even further heavy discrimination against the French Basque people, mm-hmm. um, especially as their commerce declined and their state power was taken away from them. That this kind of led for a lot of French Basque people to migrate, particularly migrate to the New Americas. And then through that... I mean, through that, there was... A banning of the language, which was a heavy indicator of their identity, heavy indicator of what happened with their identity, but also of the power dynamics within the French Basque region and how people were treating each other. Um, but there is a silver lining. There is a silver lining in all of this, I think. Yeah, that despite the decline of the economy, the the, U, the U.S. or the, even the New Americas or the Americas, whatever, the New World, um, we gained something because we learned a lot about sheep herding from the Basque people who migrated. Mm-hmm. So, that's- In 1997, the French Basque areas were officially called Pay Basque, and, which is French for the Basque country. Um, and since then, we've had AOC cheese and wine pouring out of the region. So that is another um, silver lining that their identity was, I guess, solidified after that. And so they've yeah. produced a lot of regional goods that are really desired globally <laughs> kind of sounds funny though it's like you've been banned from your country but we drink your wine and cheese yeah, that's really, that's great. <laughs> yay for everyone um oh. but anyway so thus far we've covered a little bit of the Basque geography and the people from the french and spanish sides of the border um but uh, i think we kind of need to just like a little bit talk about the basque americans yes i know julie read a whole whole article or something or watch a documentary i I did i did um and this is not really talked about but yes basque americans are a thing i bet you didn't know that at one point there were so many basques migrating to america that it became a way of life for basque families their sons were expected to either become priests learn local artisan skills in basque or go to america to earn money and send back to their families at home yeah, there was some some fun fact that Julie found about um, Los Angeles. At one point, like yes. I think it was in the after the gold rush, there was over seventy one percent decline, of, a decrease of cattle, of cattle, and a tripling of sheep populations in yeah. LA County alone because yeah. of the Basque migration to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And and then it's the West Coast. So we had Utah, Idaho, California, Nevada, Wyoming were the main places that the Basque region. And then Julie and I also had the pleasure of watching a really... Um, it was a really dry was, documentary. Like, so dry. I think you felt you passed out through I half did. of it. I did. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I did wake was, up to finish it. 
it was like done in like 1974 or something like that. It was, it was all like, about oh. the Basque country. But it was about following a young Basque man from the Spanish side who was able to get like a work visa for the holiday because that was popular to do was yeah. to get um, holiday work visas so they could take the Basque shepherders over to the west coast of, uh, of the U.S. and do a season there. And so you kind of you follow through their lifestyle. And mm-hmm. It's like a man chopping wood without his shirt and sleeping with shirt. Okay, for you. It's just... No, okay, it's just like it's kind of funny. I was like, what did, what did Julie find? But it was interesting. It showed the culture and how it's like a it was like a thing young people did. Pretty in the much, 70s it was so ingrained in Basque culture at the time that they made a documentary about it. Yep, yep. Not and a very it, interesting yeah. one, but a very informative one. <laughs> yeah. So if you're interested, you just look up Basque. It's on documentary. YouTube. Like yeah. that's it. It's on YouTube. Um, but, but anyway, because of that wave of people, a fun fact is that uh, in Canada, Newfoundland, their whole cod industry, which they're known for um, their fishing industry, it was established by the Basque people because the, the Basque, part of the Basque, if you see a map, it's along the coast, along the yeah, water, and yeah. they, were, they were known for their skills in fishing and sailing and all that stuff. So they have a big pride. There's a lot of like ancient boats that have designs and hmm. I don't yeah. know. And- what happens when you're on the including water. that like when the Basque communities came to America they brought their fishing techniques their sheep herding techniques but they also brought over their traditions and folklore in Basque country is abundant and none like we've ever heard before one that we wanted to point out even though this is not cheese related we just think it's really adorable it's really cute. <laughs> I want to take on this tradition there is a particular one about the giants of Yentilak yes Yentilak these giants I just like that <laughs> Supposedly lived alongside humans in the Pyrenees until Christ came or missionaries arrived in the Basque country. And the story goes that Yentilak left behind Olent Zero, the last remaining giant to survive. And every Christmas on the 24th of December, Olent Zero comes to the town and drops off presents for the children. So Yentilak is derived from a Latin word meaning gentle. So in other words, what you have instead of Santa Claus is gentle giant, which they call this giant, like Julie said, Olentezero. Olentezero? Yeah, Olentezero. Olent I, I prefer a gentle giant as opposed to a jolly giant. Ho, ho, ho. Um, if, <laughs> I prefer <laughs> Olentezero, <laughs> to be quite honest. <laughs> but I just think it's so cute. And then when I was looking at Olentezero, apparently, I think in Idaho, they'll have a... a, a like a town parade and they'll have the giant. But if yeah. you look up again, I'm always like, look it up, look it up. My generation, but our generation. But, um, if you see, you'll see pictures and it's like this big giant on a stick with a big smiley face and <laughs> he brings presents. Yay. To like all sizes and shapes. Yeah. But that's so cheese related. Well, Let's go but, back to cheese. We've covered geography, yeah. people, war, language, and traditions. So yes. What about cheese in the Basque country? Which ones are worth mentioning, Camille? Um, so many. Well, let's start with sheep. Let's start with sheep. Okay, we'll start because with that, that's important first, right? That's like the main purpose of this episode: is right. sheep. Or I, I'm not really sure the sound of what sheep make. It's like bah, bah, bah. okay, that's okay, the perfect. Well, sound. We'll, we'll clip that. <laughs> Today we are going to focus on the sheep uh, because when you think of Basque cheeses, you think of sheep and that sound that Camille just made. So more specifically. <laughs> The lacha, lacha sheep are yeah, the lacha sheep native are to native, yeah. They're native Basque sheep, and they're mo- mostly located in Biscay, uh, Gay Buscoa, and Navarra. 
and they're bred and used um, because their milk production has such a high lactation level. And mm-hmm. so if, compared to cows that can like endlessly produce milk, sheep are much smaller and they don't give as much. So it's, oh, you, yeah. want a, you want something that produces a little bit more milk than normal. Although they yeah. don't produce as much milk as cows, their milk is higher in butterfat content than cow's milk. That's why when you taste a sheep's milk cheese, it's always somehow buttery and the finish is a little bit longer. Um, and the milk from these sheep, from these lacha sheep, go to make the delicious Idiazabal and Roncal cheeses, which we will definitely get into a little more later. So for one shepherd, they're allowed up to 500 um, lacha sheep at a time. That's how so 500... I can't even imagine transhumans <laughs> with 500 sheep. Like walking up yeah. this mountain alone? Would you go alone? With I think I think if you're transhumans, you're going with a bunch of people. So okay, you're like, like your you're family, like your family or neighbors or whatever. You're going to make a thing out of it because, and you're definitely going to have some sort of like sheep herding dog or dogs because that's a lot. I mean, but they got lost. You just like look at all the fuzzy things walking yeah, in one they're, area. They're pretty easy to spot. Yeah, but they are mischievous. So I've heard, I've been told from um, farmers or farmer that. Um, when they decide that they want to do something, they just do it, and they're really good at escaping. So you don't want to, I guess, lose. Do they conspire sheep. together and plan? They totally conspire. <laughs> they're like, we don't want to go this way. The grass is greener over there. Let us move. And then they we don't move. care about you people. Yeah. Well, so, please explain what transhumans is, just right, so for those unaware. For those unaware, transhumans is a very popular way of transporting. Um, Usually cows, cattle, and sheep, but it's a way to capitalize on the pasture of different altitudes. Mm-hmm. So you're defining the way the life of a bash shepherd. Typically, transhumanance would happen during a seasonal cycle, so say during spring or summer, and the shepherds will move their sheep. Sometimes farmers will do this with their cattle as well to a higher pasture for the animals to graze. So it's like having a different buffet of food. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think Gina... Um, the owner of Venice, you know, there's like a picture on Instagram where she was taking a picture with a cow. I think was yeah. about to go to a trans yeah. thing. On so, its journey. On its journey. But it's like a big fest- festive thing. And yeah. the idea is a way to like rotate your your herd and for allow them to be in different um, pasture. Right. And it's um, it's a, like a very... Um, like a very ethical process that you do. And it, it, it's done traditionally with a lot of cheeses in Europe, mm-hmm. especially in Alpine, which will have a section on that in the future. So. And and when they've moved up to the higher pastures, these shepherds will milk the sheep by hand and make the cheese while living up in the mountain huts, which mm-hmm. in uh, this region was is called etchola or a kailar. And when the warmer seasons come, the sheep get brought back down to graze on the grass for the season's fresh grass. Um, this allows the Basque farms to turn approximately 47% of their milk into cheese, which is almost half their milk. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. All of it's going to cheese. Yeah. Cheeses, so, like Oso Irati, is one, it's of, one of my favorites. Yes, it's one of my favorites, too. It's one of France's oldest cheeses, and legend has it that it was first made by one of Apollo's sons, Aristide. According to records, the first appearance of Oso Irati was around 1000 BCE. So this is like the first time where we don't have a love story. You know, we have Gorgonzola yeah. in the back. But um, yeah, so this is Apollo's son. It's just it's an improvement. It's, 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 a, it's a royal royal cheese. Yeah. And it comes from the province of Biran. Um, and it is that's where osos are made. So. Yeah. And 
There are 69 farmers that contribute the sheep's milk to the making of this AOC-protected Oso Irati, which is only made in the winter months when the sheeps are only eating hay. It's very specific, and that's usually what a cheese that is protected, the process of making a cheese that's protected looks like. This has been done, this is the way it's been done since the beginning. The milk is gathered from a co-op to make this cheese rather than coming from one farmstead, which you can usually tell by the word fermier in France. Mm-hmm. So with international demand of Oso, because it's so good and so many people like it, yeah. it caused um, an industrial version of the cheese. So, and then the traditional cheesemakers were upset, like, no, this is our cheese, blah, blah, blah. So um, around the 14th century, sheep milk cheese from the Basque region was so renowned that it was often exchanged for other goods. Mm-hmm. So it's always had um, an established recogni- recognition there. Yeah. So and then for this reason that eventually... Um, traditional makers of Oso really pushed to have the AOC stamp. And so in 1980, Oso Rati finally got its um, AOC stamp, making it the regions of Oso and Rati the only places that could produce um, this cheese. And, and within those, be, I'm sorry, continue. Yeah. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I said within those regions, the Onetic, Istara, and Estive are the three creameries that still produce Oso Rati to this day. So they're like the three, like. They known ones. Also dis- known ones, yeah. yes. Yes, so, And they distribute globally. But, global. but it's, it's, it's also a small quantity that's mm-hmm. coming out, too, because you're, like, you're only allowed 500 sheep per hectare. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, and they're usually co-ops. So there's a whole yep. procedure. But um, the other cheese that isn't AOC um, or raw is raw milk is Tom Brulee. And this is a newer creation in the sense that, you know, like last 20-something years, not all the way 1,000 BC from mm-hmm. Apollo's sun. <laughs> but it is a yummy sheep's milk cheese we get through our lovely Pascal Belvière in France. <laughs> and it's shaped... Why are you laughing? <laughs> Go again. Anyway, so it's shaped an Asian torch on its exterior. I didn't realize that was funny. Okay. It looks anywho. beautiful. It looks beautiful because it's... Imagine like a creme brulee. That's what we usually hear brulee in. But it's on a wheel of cheese. It's about the same size as Petite Basque, if anybody out there is familiar with Petite Basque. But the origins of Tombrelay are rooted in Mount Baigara, where the Basca Carranza sheep live. So it's nutty, somewhat mild, a little bit drier than um, Petite Basque, mm-hmm. but a little bit more buttery and nutty because of the burnt torch on the outside. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm unsure where the idea to burn the outside of the cheese came from, but aesthetically and taste-wise, it works. No other cheeses that have a burnt exterior, like smoked. I get that, but not like torch. Like, gonna. I'd be interested in doing research on that. It tastes really good with Chardonnays and Pinot Noirs. If you're a wine drinker, Mm. love that. Mm. Yeah, so it's yummy, and kids like it usually. Yeah, fun tip, (laughs) fun drinking tip. Um, Then there's this. We're gonna hop over to the Spanish side of cheeses, and it's this Idiazabal. Yep. Which it was right, Idiazabal. I can't it's pronounce it with the lips. No, because we're saying Idiazabal. Which at first I thought, oh, that's a really pretty name. Maybe like for a child. And then I realized maybe I shouldn't be naming kids after cheeses. Maybe not. Uh, I think you just like cheeses too much. But okay, yeah, so Idiazabal mm-hmm. is a DOP cheese. Wait, wait, hold on. Some okay. cheeses are right. named after people. Yes, but not the other like way Pierre, around. Like Pierre Robert. Right, but would someone. you. I know, like Brias Savaran also is named after someone, but you wouldn't name somebody after a cheese. Like, call hey, your first son Tom Brule. <laughs> what's her name? Named her child Apple. I think anything's open that's, now. That's true. That's, 
Gwyneth Paltrow? Is that who you're talking yeah. about? Okay. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I know that, but let's talk about Idi Azabal because I don't want to talk about Gwyneth Paltrow anymore. Idi Azabal <laughs> is a DOP cheese. It's protected, and that means, like we've been talking about, the rules are strict in how to make it. It's supposed so, to be made with local sheep's milk from a uh-huh. heritage breed of the region Navarre. And so the village of Idiazabel is in the Goeri Valley, um, and it's where shepherds practice transhumanists, which we talked about. And because of technology, the process is a lot faster today. So once the cheese is made, it's matured for one month, then smoked using um, beech and hawthorn wood. So it gets a little bit smoky, if you like that. And it gives a lighter piquant flavor, and it's aged longer in the finish. It also so. pairs well with whiskey. Uh, any whiskey drinkers out there? Another pro yeah. tip. Um, but yeah, also, we're really, we're really into <laughs> alcohol this it's, time. I like it. I like having a little sip of something that pairs well with cheese. And if I'm having a sip of something, I have to have something to eat with it. It's just like a perfect balance. And so, it's, yeah, it's hard for me to drink without having food around, and it's hard for me to eat without having a drink around. It's actually. Oh, say the other way around, like the first way is better because then it's like a good tolerance. Yeah. But I mean, clearly you shouldn't drink on an empty belly. Don't ever do that. (laughs) Yeah. Anywho. From um, the Navarre region (laughs) is Roncal. Roncal, we've mentioned earlier. Legend has it that pilgrims (laughs) making their way across the Pyrenees on their journeys to Santiago de Compostela were sustained by this raw sheep's milk cheese. To take that journey one day, the the walking trail through. Yeah, I take that with you. My mom wants Thank to you. do it too. I think it's like a really popular thing to do now. Like not if you're religious. Like everyone's just like we can go, go and have roncal and also <laughs> There you go. So roncal is um first the first Spanish cheese actually to receive the DOP stamp. So DOP is um, Spain's version of an AOC. Yep, and it got its status in 1981, and it it. Uh, it is it as a ball is also a DOP cheese, just yeah. in case you're curious. But um, it's a protected cheese, and the milk is um, made with the wait, the milk that goes into it is without antibiotics and out colostrum free. So colostrum, yes, I will explain what colostrum no. is. It is a naturally occurring antibody in the milk of pregnant mammals. Right now, we're talking about ruminants, animals that you know we drink their milk that produce milk. But um, we, as women, also like um, yes, also produce it. Yeah. Yes, so it's pregnant mammals uh, produce colostrum naturally in their milk to protect their newborn from disease. So it's full of an- like full of antibodies, full of nutrients, um, but maybe not great in cheese that people are eating. I venture to say that all cheeses that are globally sold are colostrum and antibiotic-free. No, I just think it's kind of a funny thing to put up in there. Like, we have no colostrum in there. Cheese, because it's not something. Yeah. When you're working with cheese, it's not something you usually see in the. No. I don't no. think I've ever seen it on the. I have seen antibi- antibiotic-free though, like on. Um, Some of them. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so ideally, the milk used to make on call is raw um, from a different type of sheep um, herd. It's a Rasa um, Latska and F1 Latska mixed with a milk shaft breed. I'm sorry, milk milk shaft, milk shaft. Exactly. That's no perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. I have no idea. If you say it three times, it eventually comes all right. You have to you have to say it five times to see milk shaft. Okay, five times. Milk shaft sheep. No idea how the F1 Lasha differs from the regular Lasha, but we do know that the Milchaf 
sheep breed is considered to be the world's highest producing dairy sheep. Milchschaf sheep hail from Friesland, Germany, and that's the same place that Frisian cattle, which are Holsteins, come from. So coincidentally, these cattle produce the highest milk yield out of all livestock out there. So what? I don't know. What is what is it about Friesland, Germany? I don't know, but Ikliba, I like it. Okay. <laughs> it makes yummy milk. Both Milchschaf <laughs> and Frisians do not exist well in harsh environments, but they thrive when they're crossbred with local breeds, giving us this... Giving us this beautiful Milchschaf sheep. So, Oh, but also... With the Lacha. Gives us, yeah, with the Lacha. It right. just, we're going into breeding, which is beyond me. So Let's move on to... Let's move back on to the cheese side. Yeah. But with, yeah. They, the Milchschaf and all breeds of sheep produce milk that has a higher butterfat content than cow's milk, which I mentioned earlier. Um, and knowing this, the DOP takes that into account for Roncal. The end product uh-huh. of Roncal uh-huh. has to have a fat content of at least 45%, which yep. is pretty fatty, I would say. Yeah, but, but yeah, I wouldn't look at the fat. Because okay. cheese is... That's just what you're doing when you're eating cheese. <laughs> I think I think Gouda's are forty six percent in order to be okay, a Gouda like well, that. So there you go, one percent difference. So the entire ripening process, yeah, um, yeah. You know what? Fat's yummy. I like butter. It makes things meat. taste good. Fat and salt. It does make things good. It's, yeah. Tell me yeah. about the ripening no, process. I, I'm gonna tell you the ripening process. Yes. Um, last no less than four months and must be turned and cleaned regularly with most um, cheeses when they're ripening. And it's a cylinder with a height of 4.7 inches with a diameter and um, varying diameter, apparently. And so it's not always the perfect size at each time. And it weighs about two to six pounds. The I don't pace, know if that visual helps you. Yeah, it, it's, it's a pretty heavy uh, cylinder. Um, the paste is hard, ivory white to straw yellow with a rind that is naturally modeled with mold, which I love. I love rinds that are beautiful and like naturally molded. Think of Tom de Savoie, Dunbarton Blue, Le Grine. So yummy, so beautiful. And you can you can eat the rind too. It's just up to yeah. your preference if you like the taste of it. And if it's sometimes it's too strong and so worth. But there's a lot going on in those rinds. Mm-hmm. They've been around, exposed. But I think let's talk about some favorites. They're still going to be sheep based, like yeah. I said. It's like where all the sheep and ferrets hang out. Yes. Yeah, so um, I think <laughs> the one that we're pe- we're picking for today is La Secret de Compostelle. Woo-hoo. And so it's the, we got this cheese kind of accidentally because. The cheese that was one of our favorites um, was the Abbey de Belloc, but the monks there said, you know, we're going to retire. We don't want to do this we're anymore. So we had this cheese anymore. Yeah. So, and that's also in the Basque area. And we had to get Lucy Crits. But yes. you know what? It's, it's yummy. Delicious. It's so good. And it's not even a compromise or anything. It's not, it no. doesn't replace, it's like a completely different cheese. It's so yummy. The raw sheep's milk. It's it made it's made from raw sheep's milk and it comes from the Basque region, Hellet in the Basque country, in and the French the milk, Basque. Sorry. So it's what's fun about the cheese is that if the milk production is low in Hellet, the creamery will just purchase milk from the neighboring Spanish Basque country, so they're pretty close to the border. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a a collaboration of Spanish and Basque. Um, sheep's milk cheese. There's no rivalry thing. there. They're just all no. collectively sharing milk, which, which is, is nice. It's a, it's appropriate to the the image of the mm-hmm. the story behind the yes. what you you yeah they've got a about. really rooted sense Saint of John. identity. 
Uh-huh. Um, on the rind, you see beautiful sepia print of St. John making the pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela, another raw sheep's milk cheese that is used historically, presumably, to sustain <laughs> these pilgrims on their long, long walk. Yeah, because if no one has ever eaten a lot of cheese, it can fill you up for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, like, because of that fat content. Carbs and and fat. also a lot of protein. Yeah. So it's a pulls you through. So the star cheesemaker behind the Lucy Cretz is Jean Echelucu. Echelucu. Stephanie Basque's last name. Uh, Agro Creamery. And now his son, Piero, is, is the one that makes the cheese. But they also make Oso Arati. They're mm-hmm. a designated Oso they do. maker. Visually, oh. Le Secret has an amber-brown rind with spots of orange mold, again, beautiful, all over the mm-hmm. ivory-white semi-soft paste. Yum, 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 yum. And it's a uh, similar textures in the sense of it being butter, very buttery, somewhat salty, pleasantly sheepy. Mm-hmm. And the smell is, um, it's, it has a slight fishy essence, which sometimes we've, I've, we've used that to sell it to people. And they get like, oh, I don't want to smell like fish. It doesn't smell like fish. It's just, it's very earthy. And kind of like sea-like. Um, it's delicious. It's, it's savory smelling, which is savory. It tastes good. Just give it a try. You got to be adventurous when yeah. you're venturing into the world of cheese, and don't judge a cheese by its rind. Yeah. Yep. There you go. I don't think we should judge anyone by its rind. No. Mine's a bit soft. I'm a soft. Mine's rind. kind of crusty in the morning. <laughs> oh, okay. We don't need to go there. <laughs> So I think um, that piece of advice is a good one about not judging a cheese by its mm-hmm. rind. And I think it kind of brings our episode to a close today. Yeah. Today, we transported you across the world to a small, tiny corner between the border of France and Spain. We drifted over the sheep, speckled hills of the Basque Country and learned about the history, traditions, and cheeses that have blessed our lives today. As always, if you think we've missed something or need to explore a topic further, let us know. Email your comments, thoughts, questions, cheese-related concerns to info at vinisimo.com so we can address them all on the next segment of Dairy Maidens. And here from the Specialty Produce Network in San Diego, we wish you a happy Tuesday and please, for your own sake, eat more cheese! Hi, fellow cheese lovers. Cheese Whiz Gita here, and I invite you to subscribe to our Noon on Tuesday podcast to hear all about cheese all the time. You can listen on iTunes or SoundCloud or subscribe via FeedBurner under Noon on Tuesday. You can also watch us live every week on Facebook at Benissimo Cheese at, you guessed it, noon every Tuesday Pacific time. We're fun, we're cheesy, so tune in and tell your friends to tune in too. Ciao. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.